kingdom of God is expanding and now it can expand at a greater rate because now Jesus has all the authority, not only in heaven, but he has all the authority here on earth. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast that focuses on coaching you and the growth of your faith. Our world is struggling to find peace in the midst of all this chaos, direction in the midst of all this aimlessness, and purpose in the midst of no meaning. We are challenging everyone to take time to think about the point and purpose of your life. Then you'll know what you believe and why you believe it. This leads to a stronger faith, that is how, and that's how you find peace, hope, and love in this world. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peake. Hey everyone, it's so good to be with you today. I'm really enjoying this series that we're in right now. I think going deeper on it has really been inspiring. And it also answering a lot of questions of why what is happening in this world is actually happening. And that behind the scenes there, there is spiritual influence and spiritual motivations behind some of these really tragic events. And so uh, I don't know about you, but that helps me in my faith. It helps me uh, trust God more. And even if there's suffering or there's difficulties as a result of it, it seems like it gives me uh, perseverance knowing that there is a battle, it's waging, I'm a part of it, and I can do something about it even though I'm not, even though I am, you know, a half a, a globe away, I can still do something about it. And so that encourages me in my faith. So I hope it does the same for you as well. Over the last two weeks, we've been digging into the material manifestation of the two kingdoms that are at war with one another. Now that we have a deeper understanding about this spiritual war and how it spills over into our everyday lives, my question is, how do we fight this battle, yeah. Pastor? We know that the battle is raging. We know that it's out there. But now I want to know how, what weapons, what strategies should we be using to get into the fight? Yeah, well, you know, with all the language over the last two weeks and all the podcasting and messages and, and our understanding of Islam and what it's trying to do in the world today, you kind of start to get the feeling, man, I need to gear up. I need to get my gun safe out and I need to buy more <laughs> ammo and I need to sharpen up my, you know, Bowie knife. And, and I said, okay, uh, if you're want to be prepared for the zombie apocalypse, I'm absolutely fine with that. But that's <laughs> not where this battle is actually won. And in the talk of all of this armor, you know, of gearing up uh, with the breastplate and uh, uh, our feet shod with the gospel of peace and the sword of the spirit, you, you get the, the uh, idea that this battle is fought in the material realm. There will be battles. They will be fought in the material realm. And they come at a time uh, where there may come a time where you have to defend your family and, and your fellow man. But the ultimate battle, the spiritual battle where all this originates is fought on a different plane. And you need to understand how this battle is fought. And the mission of the war, what is it? What is our mission? And that is to expand the kingdom of God. You see, What's going on in this war is that the kingdom of God is taking over enemy territory. Mm. The kingdom of God is expanding, and this kingdom of this world, which is evil, is fighting a guerrilla war against it. But it's just a matter of time before ultimately the kingdom of God wins. So 
How do we expand the kingdom of God? Well, we have to ask ourselves, what is the marker? You know, this stronghold that the kingdom of God is slowly taking over, what is it? Well, is it a geographical region? No. It is a spiritual region. No. Well, what is it? It's not territory because Jesus said the kingdom of God is not here or there. The kingdom of God is where? In your heart. So, in other words, we are in a battle to win people into the kingdom of God. It is a battle of the heart. And the most important part of this war, in fighting this war, is called the doctrine of non-coercion. That means that people have to willingly choose to enter the kingdom of God. We cannot force them. So what does that mean? Is that... First and foremost, we have to make the argument from a propositional truth perspective that entering into the kingdom of God is the best decision you'll ever make in your life. It is the right decision for your life. But we can't force you to make that decision. You have to make it yourself. Therefore, all of our strategies, all the techniques that we use must reflect the mission and goal of expanding the kingdom of God one heart at a time. Yeah, I think defining what our winning looks like is super important because a lot of times I think we think of war as, well, you're trying to take over land or you're trying to take over control of something or whatever, right? And so in our brains, we go, okay, we're at war. What kingdom or like where are we going to conquer things, right? That's the that's what we've been taught war looks like. You're usually trying to get something, whether it's oil or land or whatever. And you have to kill people to get it. Yes. And this is a different kind of war. And we have to define the terms and know what it is that success and victory looks like. Mm -hmm. And so knowing that we're trying to win people to the kingdom of God is our ultimate goal, then it really changes our strategy because now it's not about, okay, well, we got to go out and scream at people in the streets and tell them how they're going to burn or how they're wrong and how they're dead or they're mm-hmm. going to die. Instead, we need to go, okay, we need to come at this from a different way because we're trying to win hearts for Jesus, right? And so Yeah, because those- every time someone turns to Christ, the kingdom of God expands, Yes, right? Every time someone uh, turns away from Christ and rejects Christ, right, then that allows the kingdom of this world to exist a little bit longer. Right. And so the thing is, is that I absolutely and unequivocally want to defeat everything that causes a person to deny Christ. I want to defeat every ideology that destroys people. I want to defeat every lofty thing that's brought up against the knowledge of God. I want to defeat that with absolute ruthlessness. I do not want to stand and, you know, lightly arm wrestle with the ideologies of Satan in this dark world. I I don't want to engage uh, with tea and crumpets on a discussion about the philosophies and deceptions of this world and how destructive they are to, to people. I want to absolutely exterminate them with extreme prejudice, right? But I don't want to exterminate people, and I don't want to wound people in the process. Now, there are times when some people are so engrossed in evil that what we do is we lock them up, Mm. and we should. Uh, If you don't do that, that's a problem. Uh, Also, in Christianity, we should label some 
ideologies and then the people who carry those ideologies and propagate them and refuse to propagate them as evil, right? The, the, the people of Hamas, you know, are evil. And so we should first and foremost point out why they are evil. But then the second thing we ought to do is, unfortunately, they have weapons and they can do things to kill other people. And we must stand in the gap. And that's why we have a military, right? And we want that to happen. So we have to understand the battlefield. And for Christians, the battlefield becomes uh, uh, in a totally different way. For instance, in Matthew chapter 28, uh, when you look at the whole issue of authority, is that uh, I think, let me phrase it this way. The kingdom of God is expanding and now it can expand at a greater rate because now Jesus has all the authority, not only in heaven, but he has all the authority here on earth, right? Okay. And so he says in Matthew 28, right before he sends into heaven, he says, verse 16, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had designated to them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Some though were still doubtful. Which so this I, is after he's he's rose, been crucified and rose again. Rose again, okay, right. So that's important context. Yeah, very context. Right before he ascended into heaven, he goes, it says, they worshipped him, but they were doubtful. You know, and so I've really dug into this, and what is what were they doubtful about? And there's some different positions on it, but it's really interesting to me that the, these, these disciples had no idea what was next. Mm-hmm. You know, and what Matthew is recording is maybe he felt it as well is, well, we didn't pick up arms and fight for an earthly kingdom because as Jews, remember, Matthew wrote his gospel to who? The Jews. To the Jews. And all the Jews believed in what? An earthly kingdom. And so their thought was, how in the world, you know, what are we to do now? Because you are the you are God. We saw it. you're raised from the dead, but now we're doubtful. Like, well, what's the plan? And then immediately Jesus says, and this is how Matthew records it. He says, he came up and spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, in the very beginning of Matthew, same book, he records Jesus telling us how to pray, which is we should honor God, you know, hallowed mm-hmm. be your name. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So at the beginning of Matthew, we are to pray. He says, pray that his kingdom would come and on earth as it already is in heaven. And now he says, guess what? All authority on earth is now mine. Right. So do you see how that connects? Yes. Okay. So he then says, therefore, because now I have all the authority, go and make disciples. He doesn't say go and sharpen your swords and break out your leather shields. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, all authority in heaven and on earth is now in Jesus. So how are we, you and I, 
to exercise this authority? How are we to fight this battle? By making disciples. That's how we fight the battle. So what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a person who follows Jesus, his teaching, his way of doing life, his commands. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ or a disciple. And that's where the battleground exists, is helping people come to Christ and then disciple them and what it means to follow him. So, I mean, I think this is really key because he basically lays out that we need to be making disciples. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about this, right? Like right. this is the great commission basically where he says, this is what you're supposed to go do next. This is not yep. a go and complain to the government. This yeah. is not a go and fight a, a physical battle. This is uh this is how we move forward from here. Yes. You are to go do disciples. Mm-hmm. Are there things and times where you might need to do those other things? Yes. But your primary goal, primary your primary goal. mission is to go make disciples. Yes. And that is the key to what he wants done. And this was one of the last things he said before he left, right? Mm-hmm. So, exactly. The one question I have is how did we're if we're going back in in, in Salty Pastor always trying to get context, we're trying to look at the historical evidence, right? Yes. We're looking at all of these Jewish disciples. Yes. And he and and Jesus says, Go out and share it with everybody. Yeah. He doesn't say just go share it with the Jews. Right. He says, Go share it with everyone. So now they got to go start breaking down some cultural barriers to to reach people for this for is Christ. where it gets. Oh, so it tell gets. me a little bit about how they how they did that because I mean they're gonna go they're Jewish people yeah. now they have to start going to Ethiopia and all these different cultures that don't even know what the Messiah is right <laughs> how are they how are they doing this tell but me. just think of what a radical what a radical thing that. Jewish people are dealing with in this, right? It's like, okay, we, our whole lives for, for centuries is focused around a physical kingdom for Jews, right? right? Where Jews would be the chosen people on the promised land and God would fight our battles and win for us. So we're the kingdom that no one can defeat. And so in their mind, they were defeated a lot. Yeah. And so, (laughs) and everybody in our, everybody in our borders in our kingdom is Jewish because we're chosen. Right. So and now he says, go and make disciples And the term here is panta to ethna. So ethna is the word we get ethnic from. Right. So the word nation is not a political nation. He's saying every ethnic group out there go and bring into the kingdom of God. That is a radical difference from the, wait a second, we're uniquely Jewish and nobody else is allowed in and we're, it's our kingdom that's physical. Nope. So when you read the book of Acts, you see very early on how the early followers of Jesus began to cross these ethnic boundaries and fulfill the command of Christ. Uh, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Peter giving the gospel to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Then the inclusion of all Gentiles uh, in the first church council in Acts chapter 15. There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and so very early on you see the gospel expanding beyond just the Jewish uh, ethnic identity, right? Uh, it, it immediately expanded beyond. And what's so fascinating here is something that's really so interesting is why it's not a physical 
kingdom and why it's not a religion. Christianity has its greatest strength because it doesn't have a predefined cultural expression that adherents are called to follow, right? Right. So how many things today do you have to, if you adopt a religion, do you have to adapt or adopt their clothing or their style or something of that nature? Like, for instance, the Sikhs, right? All Sikhs have to wear that special thing on their head. Right. If you're in Islam, what do the women have to wear? They have to wear a burqa or a head covering, right? All the men are to dress a certain way. And then you look at, isn't it interesting how all these different religions have certain things that identify them culturally, okay? Right. But Christians don't have that. I mean, a Christian can, you know, wear a suit or wear an African, I can't remember the thing, I call them togas, but they're not. There's a special name for them, so forgive my ignorance. But they wear these special outfits that don't look anything at all like a suit right. from Western society. And yet those guys are, are Christians, you know. You, you can go all over the globe and they dress differently, they eat differently, they celebrate on different days, but at the core they all hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the power of Christianity because it's not a religion. Christianity often will enter into an ethnic group and it will use the cultural forms of that ethnic group to communicate the propositional truths of Christianity. Then the culture is transformed from the inside out as more people within the culture start to follow Jesus. Here's, it's really a fascinating historical fact. Every nation that has conquered another nation with a large Christian popula population eventually became Christian. Isn't that hmm. interesting? That's Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. They would go in, they conquer the nation, but then within a generation, they would convert to Christianity. Why? Because Christianity isn't a religion and it's not an ethnic or right kind of identity. It's not a religious identity per se. It is a propositional truth. And so that's what makes it so differently. There's only one place, only one time where Christianity uh, was the, if there was a major, a majority, not a, a majority, but just a major population of Christians where a nation came in and conquered them that eventually became Christian. There's only one situation where that has never happened ever. And that's with Islam. Mm. And the reason why is because Islam is a religion and its only goal is to impose its culture on all people groups. And that's really important to understand. I think it's, I mean, I've literally never heard about that, that stat you were talking about where the, every nation that had a major Christian population eventually converted. That just kind of shows the power of that truth, right? Like we talk about the truth of Christianity it eventually makes its way through and people go, oh, you can't deny this anymore, right? Like mm -hmm. it has to, it takes time, but it does happen. And I think that that idea of not having anything restrictive is what we should say mm -hmm. about Christianity allows it to be more accessible to all the different cultures and ethnicities because you don't have to wear something specific. You don't have to do eat a certain kind of food or whatever. Right. It just allows you to be transformed internally, but there's not necessarily a physical outward expression that you have to do, right? Some people choose to wear crosses, but that's a choice and 
half the time just a fashion statement than rather than uh, a mandatory requirement. It's a it's right. a choice that they make. It's not a mandatory requirement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what is the biblical foundation for including all the nations and ethnicities? Well, I think you know it's very important to realize is that Jesus says, "I'm not you know I'm not." here to negate the the prior revelation of God to Moses in, in the law, I'm here to fulfill it, right? So he, he's not here to contradict it, but he's also saying that it was insufficient and incomplete. And Paul makes this argument in the book of Romans. That's what the whole book of Romans is about. And so that Jesus is a fulfillment. And that's why Christians follow the New Testament, right? And we use the Old Testament for the purpose of proving that we need Jesus and Jesus was the point all along. Okay. Right. But we don't, a lot of people sometimes in Christianity make the mistake of going back and then adopting the cultural religious practices of the old Testament. They try to Christianize them and it's okay. You're just trying to create a new religion for yourself. And so the biblical foundation from beginning was that God wanted all nations because he it's he, his love is for all of creation, not just a portion of it. And so Jesus came for all, not just one special group. And if you go back and you look at the original Abraham, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, the one that God had with Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation in Genesis chapter 12, he says, you will be my people. I will be your God and I will bless all other nations through you. Right. So they took that, well, we're the chosen people, you know, woohoo, and and they forgot what they were chosen for. Right. Right? To bless all the other nations. Yes. They weren't to be the the stopgap, so to speak. They were to be the conduit through which it flowed to all other nations. So that was a big deal. Uh everybody is included. And what's so fascinating is how Christianity is the only belief system that allows for it to enter into a culture and then communicate those propositional truths through cultural phenomena. Uh, there's a, a cultural anthropologist by the name of Don Richardson who did a lot of study with unreached people groups and with these uh, untouched tribes. And he went to Papua New Guinea to a tribe of uh, cannibals. And in this, this book he writes, he talks about, I went to share the gospel with them and what happened is he says, I got there, I started telling the gospel message, and the person they loved the most was Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And he says the reason why is because in cannibalism, they, they don't eat somebody else for the purpose of their hungry. He goes, they do it because what they, they try to do is win the trust of another tribal member, and then once they win that person's trust, they kill him and eat him because they believe that that gives them power over that other tribe. Right. So they're... They're ingesting the spiritual power of this other tribe. So he, he said, okay, I made a mistake by telling them the story, and I made it worse. But then he realized, well, what happens when you have these blood feuds between the tribes? And he goes, well, they, you know, the chief says it can get pretty nasty. You know, we run around killing each other all the time. We can wipe each other out. And so what we do is we trade children. Mm. He goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I, I, we'll, we'll take a baby and we'll give it to that tribe, and then that tribe will give us a baby, and we will raise it as our own. Then that tribe, we know, will never try to uh, cannibalize us because they might be cannibalizing one of their own. And mm. if they did that, that would 
that would destroy their power. Right. He, and he said, he says, oh, he says, well, what do you call this child? He goes, we call it the peace child. Mm. And so he told the story differently this time. He said, God, you know, sent the peace child. And after that happened, all the tribes started to convert. See, what happened is, is that what's the beauty of this story is this, is that Don Richardson said, I understand the truth. I'm not trying to impose upon you a religion. I'm trying to pose, I want you to understand the truth. And so he used their cultural forms, right? And then once they got it, then they all converted. Now, another sad story about this on the other end of the stick is what happened is when a lot of, uh, when America was pushing west, is that here in Idaho was the Nez Perce, and there was uh, Chief Joseph's grandfather, and Chief Joseph's grandfather had heard about this great spirit, and so he actually wrote a letter to St. Louis asking for missionaries to come and tell them about Jesus. And so the Nez Perce were very open to Christianity. A lot of tribes are very open to Christianity. The ones that, that weren't had people come to them, and the people would, missionaries would sit down and say, we're here to tell you about God. And they go, well, who, what God? And they would describe the God. And then the people would go, well, is, you're talking about the great father. And they go, no, we're not talking about the great father. We're talking about God. So they got hung up over a simple term. Terms. And that created such division. And so I think the, the thing is, is that Christianity at its core has always been about cross-ethnic cultures because it's a propositional truth it's not a religion yeah i think just i think that's so unique that we can be able to share that in those different forms because Mm -hmm. it, it isn't and i mean even jesus showed this like he was explaining all these things these spiritual truths to the jews in ways that they would understand if he had right. come and and landed in those um, indigenous tribes, he probably would have explained it different. He wouldn't have told the parables in the same way he told the parables to the Jewish people. Right? right. And we need to take our cues from the way he did it. He's like, let me show you how you need to do this yeah. on you guys. Yeah. And then take the principles that I'm showing and take them to other people. Yes. So is that, is that kind of, Talk to me a little bit about why the model of discipleship is so effective. Um, at because it's it's a relational conduit. Okay, that's why it's such a powerful thing. Because you, what you're doing is, I'm not trying to impose on you a religious expression. Okay, I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is help you understand. Right now, there's a massive conversion happening in Africa, in some of the darkest parts of Africa right now. And the reason why is because in the 1800s, there was a massive missional push, right? And so what happened is all these missionaries from England in the 1800s went down to Africa and they set up these little missionary stations and they basically tried to recreate Britain there in Africa. Well, as soon as those people died, you know what happened? Those mission stations all died. Well, then what happened is other people came in and said, well, our goal is to find a a person who is native to this country, bring them to Christ, and then let them take Christ to their fellow people. And the person who kind of started this was Hudson Taylor in China, Mm. which is another thing. Today, China is just converting like crazy, and the communist government over there 
doesn't want that to happen. They're always persecuting Christians. But what's really fascinating is that when Hudson Taylor went over there, you know, the first thing he did is he changed his clothes. So he dressed exactly like the common Chinese man. He actually took horse hair and made a massive braid with his own hair until his hair grew out. And at times, he would even take pigment and rub it on his face so he looked darker. Mm. He didn't look pale. Why? Because he wanted to look like all of the other people. And they say that Hudson Taylor was one of the most effective missionaries in China for the gospel than ever. It's unbelievable what Hudson Taylor did. In the same way, is this, this approach, right, is is relational in nature and so the earliest colonists here in america uh, they came to america to start a country that was based upon these principles of christianity because what's interesting is that all of these other cultures like china and africa and all these other places their cultures improved once they turned to christ right and so they saw all this benefit and so the earliest colonists came over here. Well, what if we start with that and to see the growth of the benefit? Now, were there mistakes in that? Sure. Was there ignorance in that? Sure. But that the point is, is that they use the influence of Christianity to help improve culture. And the only way you could do that is through discipleship, you know, and that relational component was so powerful. Absolutely. Well, I think we are basically at the end of our time was there anything else you wanted to chat about before we closed on this topic for today well i think it's just important to point out because we've been talking about this and the thing that's really uh, brought up the focus of the kingdom come is that there's only one time in all of history where christianity was unable to grow or thrive and that was under islamic influence Mm. okay and it's not just unique to christians but you know the same thing happened in india in the hindus and the same thing happened with buddhism in uh, the eastern part of china but what i think what's really important to understand is that christianity has never been able to thrive or grow or influence in an islamic nation as a matter of fact islamic nations persecute it and wipe it out and the historical record is is so strong. Muhammad, you know, lived from 570 to 632 AD. He was born into the most powerful tribe in Mecca. And then when he was 40, he said he received this uh, revelation. A lot of people think, well, that's because he was trying to get more power in this powerful tribe. But for 13 years, he had very little success. So he fled to Medina because they tried to assassinate him. And there he started to conquer. He returned uh, to Mecca about six, seven years later with 10,000 soldiers, and he conquered the city because he was conquering all of the Arabian Peninsula. He died a few years after capturing Mecca at about 61, 62 years of age. And, but his followers had forcibly converted the majority of the Arabian Peninsula. Okay? Um, after that was the Umayyad Caliph, and it lasted not quite a hundred years, but the whole Iberian Peninsula by the Umayyad Caliphate that occurred from approximately 710 to 780 just expanded it. And then you have the Abbasid Caliphate, which was probably a little over a hundred years that it expanded. And when it expanded, all of this was military conquest. All okay. of it was military conquest. And it was you either 
are subdued, you convert, or we kill you. And that's important to understand. You look at all the assorted dynasties uh, between that and the Mongol invasion. Then after the Mongol invasion collapsed, you had the Ottoman or Turkish Empire. Okay? During this period of time, not once did Christianity thrive. As a matter of fact, in all the areas where Christianity is most ancient, they've, it's all been wiped out. Mm. And it's been wiped out not by attrition, but by genocide and ethnic cleansing. And so I think it's really important to understand that at its core, Islam doesn't have a problem with radical Muslims. Islam is radical, mm. the whole thing. And I know it's very unpopular to say that, but it's just the basic truth. It is a military religion that wants to impose its will on everybody. And so that's why Christianity should take a hard stop stance against the advancement of Islam. The only answer is to convert Muslims to Christianity. And there's a lot of people doing that, and there's been a lot of victory. But the problem with that is if you convert from Islam, it's a death sentence. They kill you. And so that makes it difficult to win converts and keep them so that they have an influence on their family members. Right. So this is something we need to be aware of, and I think we need to talk about it and understand, well, how do we fight the battle? Well, we fight it primarily through discipleship. And so hopefully through discipleship, we'll win more. But at the same time, we cannot be lulled into complacency and believe that Islam is not a problem, particularly when it comes to Christianity. Well, thank you, Pastor, for sharing all that with us and the, the discussion today. Uh, hopefully this is... Um, encourage you guys to start thinking about things in a slightly different way about how discipleship and the cross-culturalness of discipleship and how we're trying to win hearts one at a time. We're not here to wage war on our fellow man, but instead we're here to try to win them for Jesus. And yes. I think that's an important thing, defining those terms and understanding what our goal here as Christians is. So thank you so much, Pastor, for helping us um, clarify that, giving us something to think about. And we'll see you guys here on Thursday on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.